Welcome to A Wild New Work, a podcast about how to take wise, soul-centered action in your work life, all based on the wisdom of nature. I'm Megan Leatherman, a mother to two small kids, coach, writer, and amateur ecologist living in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm your host today. Hi, friend, and welcome. I'm so delighted to share this space with you today. I hope that wherever you are, you're breathing a little more slowly maybe or more deeply and just feeling um, the ground beneath you. We are now in Scorpio season. The sun moved into the sign of Scorpio on October 23rd, bringing us into the heart of the autumn season. We're in this mid-autumn period where the days are getting shorter and shorter, the darkness is growing, it may be feeling colder where you are. Um, unfortunately, here in the Pacific Northwest, it's been smoky with wildfires, but uh, I think the rain is coming or will be here by the time you listen to this episode. So we're definitely in the midst of this season, even as the seasons fluctuate in response to climate change and every year as I've been working with the seasons I'm just more and more grateful for these turnings for the change for the fact that it's not always sunny it's not always warm and it's not always the same I really hope all of us can just appreciate the rhythms of the ecosystems that we're in and just hold close to our heart the fact that change is normal, change is stable, change is um, a core facet of life, and we can work with it in really wise, supportive ways. As you might know, I work with the tarot a lot in my personal and professional practice, and the card associated with the sign of Scorpio is death. And so this is a time also of death and the great dying. We see the leaves falling away from the trees. We see the plants dying, maybe not permanently, but dying back. And it's a time of uh, endings, really. And to become wise, I think, is really to understand in your own life when to help things live, when to nurture something, when to um, protect it, when to participate in its survival and when to let things in our lives die and when to understand that something maybe isn't ready to come to life yet or needs to be composted or just doesn't need your energy or focus anymore. So today I want to support you in learning how to help yourself release the maybe current version of you that you know needs to die or be transformed or the work that you're doing or part of your work or the way that you relate to your work or your purpose, whatever needs to fall away at this time. And there's almost always something, (laughs) you know, we die a little bit every day when we go to sleep, we sort of surrender to that process and we go somewhere else in our dreams and in our sleep cycles. And every autumn we get this opportunity to really release and surrender and let go of whatever can't or doesn't want to be carried with us into the winter season. And we get that opportunity personally in the literal autumns of our lives. Um, We also get it metaphorically if we know that we are in an autumn ourselves, even if outside it's winter or spring. Um, We also are in this process collectively as a culture. 
and I'm really wondering how we can help all of us, how we can help ourselves as we bear witness to the death of what used to be deemed normal or the death of capitalism or the death of former norms of stability. I'm finding it more important than ever to really stay open to the wisdom of nature's cycles and to not grasp or resist or deny what is dying, but but to really bear witness with it and work with it as it impacts me and my communities that I'm in. So today I want to learn from and bring in the wisdom of the vulture, this incredible bird that is a scavenger that is um, found in almost every continent except I think Australia and Antarctica. Um, And these birds can be our guides today and show us what it means to work with what has died and metabolize it so that we're not stuck there next to this carcass that is decomposed and we're also not transmitting toxins into the environment after something has passed. Um, so I'm really excited to share this um, this wisdom with you today. Before I start with our opening invocation, I just want to remind you, if you're new to me or if you've been here for a long time, um, that I do offer six-month one-on-one coaching, a coaching program that's based on the seasons. It's a really Um, intensive deep dive into you and what your purpose might be and how it wants to manifest in this period in your life, how to move through the letting go, the integration, the re-emergence of yourself and your good work in the world Um, and it's all based on a seasonal framework that I've developed over the years. So if you know you're on the precipice of an autumn in your working life, if you know that something is ready to die but you're not sure what's coming in its place, um, I want you to know that that's exactly what I specialize in and the work that I love to do. So you can learn more about my coaching program at awildnewwork.com. I also, if you don't feel like you need a six-month intensive offering, I also offer Higher Calling Tarot readings, um, which are is a different sort of perspective on you and your path and what needs to fall away at this time and what's trying to emerge using the archetypes in the tarot. So that's a one-off offering that's um, certainly more Uh, or less expensive if you just need a little boost right now. So you can learn about both of those things at awildnewwork.com. All right, I'm going to read our opening invocation. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, if you could just take a conscious breath into your belly or however deep is comfortable to you, and you can just listen as I open us up today. May each of us be blessed and emboldened to do the work we're meant to do on this planet. May our work honor our ancestors, known and unknown, and may it be in harmony with all creatures that we share this earth with. I express gratitude for all of the technologies and gifts that have made this possible, and I'm grateful to the Cowlitz and Clackamas tribes, among many others, who are the original stewards of the land that I'm on. So I want to start today by talking about death and how we die in this culture and sort of the, like, dominant culture. I hope that you have access to smaller cultures, either in your family or in your lineage or in your faith, that hold death more wisely. But I'm going to pull on what I see as sort of the dominant 
uh, overculture, as Clarissa Pinkola Estes writes, the overculture approach to death. Um, in my experience, it's there's a lot of denial in that process. Um, there's a lot of turning away and not wanting to really look at it. There's a lot of grasping um, and resistance, right? We have in this culture a lot of value placed on keeping someone alive despite their quality of life. And I've never been in that situation. So I say this very, very humbly. I don't know what I would do if I was faced with death before I felt really ready, but there is, um, I think, a lack of acceptance around death in general in this culture. There's also, of course, our innate drive to survive, which is sacred and primal and beyond words. And both of these things can be in presence with one another, acceptance of death and also a innate, like, uh, undeniable drive to survive at all costs that comes up, you know, when we're faced with something that puts our bodies and life at risk. So my question is really like, how can these be more balanced? How can we honor our drive to survive and become wise in the face of death? And this is something that I've been thinking about a lot, especially in the last two years. I've had four relatives die in the last two years, three of which were grandparents who, of course, had lived long lives and were, it was no great shock that they passed, although in the moment it was because, again, there was denial and not uh, not always a lot of forethought or foresight in terms of their impending death. And it's each of those processes has been very different and very healing and activating in different ways. It has also not often been very pretty. Um, and because of the denial and grasping and um, looking away, that's part of our larger cultural approach to death. In each of these experiences, there have been pretty painful aftershocks as a result. Um, they haven't been super, super graceful experiences for everyone involved. And I don't know if that's possible, but I do know that in other cultures and in other times, death could be like a like a birth. It could be something that was celebrated and honored with great reverence and courage, you know, not looking away, but really accepting that this is what is happening. This person is transitioning. Um, and in what I've read, it, it could be a really healing beautiful experience for the entire community. So I know that that's possible. And I know that for each of my relatives who have died in the last two years, um, that there was healing and reverence as part of that. But I wouldn't say that those were the overall overarching um, themes. And how we approach little death throughout our lives is similar, I think. There is I think a sense of denial if we are bumping up against something that we know has run its course and it is ready to die. There's a grasping of not wanting that to fall away or not wanting it to be true. There's can be like a lot of damage along the way with our resistance, a lot of um, hurtful words or hurtful actions or suffering that we 
um, bring upon ourselves. It's not a very graceful process. And I don't know if this has been your experience, but I find this comes up with work all the time. When it's, if I have a, an idea for my business that I put out into the world and it either doesn't take off or it does for a time and then is ready to die, I find myself having a hard time with that, being in denial about the fact that this isn't resonating anymore or grasping and wanting it to work when it's just not there anymore or um, causing myself a lot of suffering because I'm, uh, you know, not accepting that this is larger than me, that this thing has just completed its cycle and wants to be transformed now. And I see this in clients too when it comes to jobs that end or projects that end or um, relationships or professional identities that end. We just, I think a lot of us are learning how to make that a more graceful process. And if we can become more wise and courageous in the face of these smaller deaths and relate to them with wisdom. If we can move through these, you know, whether it's a move or something ending in our lives or witnessing the death of a loved one or a plant or even an ecosystem, if we can learn how to be with those in in healthier ways, then the big death at the end of our lives, I think, can become a little bit more palatable. Martin Shaw has this beautiful expert excerpt in his book, A Branch from the Lightning Tree, about how if we can place little offerings at the feet of death throughout our lives, if we can talk to her, if we can acknowledge her, if we can sing to her, then we, when we meet her at the end of our lives, it won't be this like shocking, totally traumatic meeting. It will be as if we're sort of just meeting a friend or an acquaintance that we've developed a relationship with over the course of our lives. And this time in the wheel of the year, when we're in this mid-autumn, when we're starting the seasonal underworld journey and descending into darkness, is an excellent time to look at our relationship with to death and to learn how to work with it more wisely. Between now and the winter solstice, the darkness will continue to grow. We will be descending, um, and the winter solstice is really the nadir, the darkest point in this underworld journey before the light returns. So as we move into this descent, I'm wondering for you, you know, where does your soul need to journey to right now? What lies in wait for you in the underworld, in the muck, in the darkness? What needs to be cut off at the roots or seen differently or given rest in the dark or reclaimed and brought back up in the coming winter and spring? And are you being gently invited into the underworld with little clues like um, something that's just not as energizing anymore or as life-giving or through the growing darkness in the days or the turning leaves are you being gently invited because there are times when we are dragged down into the underworld despite our unwillingness to go and uh, lack of courage there are times in our lives where it's not a choice where our soul or, or spirit or the universe whatever words you use there is going to force us into there as part of our life as part of the necessary work at, in our lives at this time. So if that's you, I want to just extend a ton of grace and remind you that being in that darkness and that descent is not permanent. It's uh, a necessary part of being human and that you have agency there. And you, you also, I want to encourage you to access all of the support that you can 
Um, in most myths, no one goes into the underworld alone. There is always a mentor or a guide or a friend that's met there, um, and each of us really needs that. But if you're in this place where you're sort of just pondering, like, I, you know, I think something here is ready to let go or be transformed, um, then I want to encourage you to be fierce in that and be courageous and really look at that. Work can often show us where we are giving up our power, where we're holding on to something that is lifeless, where we deny our creativity, where we deny ourselves the right to go into the underworld and not know and alchemize and transform. Um, Work is a great area to look at where we're ignoring our desires or what does give us life. So this Scorpio season, I just want to encourage you, and whenever you're listening, really, to really look at and be kind of fierce in your investigation at this time of year. What is really ending here? Why is it ending? Where are you grasping? What are you holding on to? Look under the rocks. Use your senses. Use your instincts. Sniff it out. Be annoying. Be dogged. Be unapologetic in your investigation of what your soul needs at this time, which may include acceptance that something has died or bearing witness to a death or doing the work of processing what has already fallen away or ended its life. This is your life. These are the little deaths that you get to work with until the great death comes to take you and transform you. So once we are in process with death, once something in our in us or in our lives has died, then there's a big question mark about like what to do then, right? Death hopefully can be graceful and it's sort of something that just gently falls away. That's not always the case. But then we're on the other side of that and, you know, the funeral is over or the thing is gone or we have released a professional identity or the job has ended, we've turned in our computer and then it's kind of like, all right, what now? We're still holding the experience of that, we're still needing to process what has happened, which has real impacts on the body, our nervous system, our soul. You know, the grief around job change is really real. The grief around releasing a professional identity that you may have poured years and sweat and blood and tears into, that is real grief. That is real experience in your body that has a a flavor to it um, that needs to be tended to. Um, And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of today. Once we're on the other side of death, once something has been let go of either externally or just internally, if we've like cut off the life force that we're devoting to a certain job or work relationship or identity, That's a really tricky place to be on the other side of that. And I see it in my clients' processes a lot. There's this pull then to like go back to what's familiar, to go back to that carcass and stay there because it feels safe and familiar, even though there's no life there. That's a really strong pull, whether it's um, getting back into relationship dynamics in the workplace that you know aren't good for you or applying for another job in the same vein or same industry or um, pursuing full-time work again even though you know you don't want to do that or can't. Um, 
And so that pull is really strong. And in my work with people at the end of each session, I usually pull a card from what's called the Animal Spirit Deck by Kim Kranz of The Wild Unknown. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And these cards, just a little caveat, are not to be confused with like spirit animal cards, which is a a tradition in many indigenous cultures where you sort of receive or work with a spirit guide who is an animal, which I have uh, no familiarity or awareness with as someone who is not indigenous. Um, This is is a deck of cards about animals and they each have like a sort of lesson with them. Um, And so, At the end of a session, we pull a card to sort of tie things together and just receive another perspective, another message from the universe or spirit or the client's higher self, whatever language works for them. So we pull this card and the vulture card comes up all the time. (laughs) I notice like there are cards that come up a lot. There are cards that almost never come up. You know, it's a it's a big deck and certain cards come up a lot. And one of these is the vulture. And these clients, these people are in the midst of pretty significant transformations in their lives and work where death is absolutely at play. And it's something that I want to explore in more depth with you today. So the artist Kim Kranz, her, she has a description of the vulture and it's the themes of like purification and rebalancing. Um, and I kind of want to riff on that a little bit and talk to you about vultures as animals and then the wisdom that I think they behold for me, my clients, and for you today. So vultures, like I said earlier, are found all around the wor- world. Uh, some of them are called condors, uh, some are called buzzards here like in North America, um, but the general themes tying them together are that they're birds, they are scavengers, um, and they arrive on the scene once death has occurred, once a predator has cracked the carcass open. I think they also arrive, you know, if something has died naturally, but from my reading, um, they don't always have the strongest beaks or talons, and so they are helped by the predator who can sort of open that carcass and give them access to what's inside. A group of vultures that comes and descends upon a dying or dead animal is called a wake, which I think is really beautiful. It's sort of in line with the Irish tradition of, you know, being at a wake and sort of honoring and being with this death that has occurred. Um, And these birds come and they feast on what is putrid, on what is uh, not going to be used by the predator, what is unsafe to the environment. They can absorb and digest meat that is rotten, rotting, that has disease, um, and these viruses or these toxins that we don't want to get into other animals who don't have the stomachs that vultures do. We don't want it to soak into the soil. The stomachs of the vultures are highly, highly acidic, so they are able to ingest what other animals cannot ingest and break it down into something that is safe again. In some cases, their stomach acid even destroys the actual DNA of the prey. I mean, it is like truly alchemized. It is what comes out then is unrecognizable. It is not what it was before. So they are able to arrive in the midst of death once death has occurred 
they are able to feed themselves on what is in excess, what is unsafe for others, and they are able to alchemize it through the natural mechanisms of their bodies. And when this card shows up for my clients, it's usually when they are in the midst of their own transformation, when they have experienced a death of some kind. They, they have left something, either literally leaving a job, literally leaving a professional identity in their heart, whatever it is, they have left something behind, but they're not yet fully grounded in the new thing. And there's an invitation with this animal, with this archetype, to remember that death needs to be metabolized. It takes time and that we have agency in that we have a we have choices to make about how we want to be with what has died and i think what's hard when it comes to death these little deaths that occur throughout our lives is that we have to remember that there's not really anything else to be done right like when death is happening if we have accepted it if it's really someone's time or something's time there's no resurrection needed there's no you know, CPR required. We're just there to bear witness to it. And that is really, really uncomfortable for most of us. It That is like an edge where most of us have a lot of learning to do, myself included. So when a thing dies in our lives, a, a, an identity, the end of a grad or undergrad program, the loss of income, that is like a neutral experience. That's that's just part of life. This thing ended, right? It, that's like a neutral objective statement. Something ended, something died. But where the viruses and toxins take hold, what, what starts to become unsafe for the ecosystem is often how we relate to that thing and the, the stories that we tell ourselves about what happened, why it happened, it could be like this belief that we deserved what happened because we're bad or we're foolish or we made a mistake. It could be this belief that we made the wrong decision, that we aren't smart or strategic enough to um, find our way in this world. It could be this belief that nothing else will come, that there will be no more abundance or joy or good contributions ahead of us. It could be sort of taking on everyone else's judgments about the situation, everyone else's judgments about the fact that you left or why you left or what happened or what others are saying about it. These are really what gets to be toxic. These are the things that can paralyze us moving past what has died. The fact that something ended, again, is a part of life. It's neutral. The disease that can manifest within that carcass, whatever it is, is usually more often related to our perception of the situation. And again, the stories that we're telling about it, the clamoring for things to be different, the resistance, the belief that we can, that there is no other identity for us, that we'll never feel successful again, that um, we have nothing to contribute, that we're not creative, that um, we're foolish and all we've made are mistakes. But you can interact with what has died in a much wiser, more empowered way. You have the capability to bring in the vultures to support you. And again, this isn't about changing anything, right? The vulture comes when something has already died. It's done. But we can come and integrate what experience, what happened. We can process what we've experienced. We can neutralize what is toxic. 
And in some ways, this happens on its own with time and space. No one has to like tell the vultures to do what they do, right? They arrive and they know what to do. We don't have to, there's no like instruction manual. So some of this just happens naturally through space and distance from the thing. But the process can be greatly, greatly helped with certain metabolic practices. One, again, this will happen naturally through your body. Your body processes your experiences in work. So if you get fired, if you are laid off, if you um, have a business venture that dies or fails, your body is literally processing that for you. And so you can support yourself literally by taking care of your body so that it is able to process and ground the experiences that you're having. You can journal and write about it. You can talk to mentors or friends or others in your flock. You can exercise and move your body and burn some of that through. You can make art. You can be fearless in your inquiry right? No vulture is like shying away from the meat or the blood that's there, right? They're getting into it face forward, right? And we can be courageous and fearless in that too. Like, what is this? What really happened? Why does this feel so painful or so heavy or so disempowering? We can also trust that the cycles of nature, the cycles of our lives can be healing for us, that what happened maybe this fall or winter or spring or summer will not feel the same in the coming seasons and that's real healing and all with all I'm inviting you to do today is to amplify that a little bit with your awareness and any practice that helps you feel like you're processing what has died and what needs to be looked at or examined or buried or tended to scavenging is gruesome like I mean, imagine seeing vultures descend upon the body of an animal that you love, right? Or even just watching like neutrally, just watching on National Geographic, like these vultures ripping away at the carcass of a zebra or a lion or whatever it is. It's, it makes your stomach turn. It's gross. It's unsavory. But their process is necessary for the ecosystem. If they didn't do what they did, disease would be rampant among these ecosystems. There would be tremendous waste. There would be an overburdened um, microbial uh, aftermath, you know, for all of these other creatures that come and help decompose what has died. The vultures play a necessary part in the process of life, but it is gross, right? It's yucky for us to look at, but it's still magical. And there is a balance between not staying stuck and analyzing or trying to process an experience that has truly ended. I'm not saying that you need to be, you know, hemming and hawing over this experience that is truly just over. But a lot of us don't know how to or don't really take enough time to really see what happened, to really process it, to really um, not shy away from the excavation that's needed in order to truly metabolize it. Sometimes it's like that saying where you have to go slow to go fast. If I don't sit and like really grieve and be in the grief of something that has died, it sort of hampers me and is an extra burden as I go forward so that I, I don't move as quickly or as freely in the future. And just like scavenging can be gruesome, 
really looking at what happened, what our part in it was, what still hurts, what we need to reclaim inside of that, can it can feel like an ugly, disgusting, uncomfortable experience, but it's ultimately life-giving. It ultimately protects the rest of our ecosystem because we can put down and transform what has been or become toxic. A lot of us spend too much time trying to resurrect the dead thing when we really need time and space and sleep and metabolism to process it and allow it to be transformed and given back to the ecosystem. And it might take you 10 years to fully process and understand a really hairy, painful experience in your work or in your vocation. That's okay. There's no timeline for anyone. It might take two days of really extensive, deep being with and bearing witness but you've got time and you can let the vultures descend when you need them to it's a natural process they know what to do so if we do this work like if we really are with the underworld death experience of the mid-autumn late autumn period that gives us extra freedom to move with swiftness we're not burdened by disease, right? Grief upon grief that's not examined or held, that compounds. The grief of a missed opportunity, the grief of critical feedback, the grief of climate change, the grief of real death that we experience, those things can compound and grow and become really nasty diseases in our ecosystem if we don't metabolize and allow the natural cycles of scavenging and decomposition to take place. Vultures feast on putrid flesh on the ground and then they soar in the sky on their broad wings. There is a levity here. I think from my reading I read that the, the highest flying bird ever recorded was a vulture at 37,000 feet. So it is both and here. It is disgusting and bloody work on the ground right at the soil and it is also floating on the wind. If we do the gruesome work when it arises, when it's here, we open up and free ourselves to be able to fly and see things differently, to have a new perspective, to feel light and like we can move and have freedom and agency in our lives and move into the next things that make sense for us. Because in learning how to be with the small deaths that come into our lives, we do become wise. We become fearless. We see that like, oh, I can be with that carcass that is rotting and I can still move into the spaces that fit for me. I can move on from that. I can move into the currents and the ecosystems where I can give my greatest gifts. I can make the contributions I want to make. I can experience reciprocity and real meaning through the work that I do. So as you transform this season, I want to encourage you to just offer yourself the wisdom of the vulture, to feast on what you can, to use time and distance and the tools of inquiry to really alchemize what can become toxic. Use your literal gut here. Support your digestion this season. Give yourself the space to sleep more, to move more, um, to journal, to process what has happened for you with 
others in your community. If you can do it in a flock, you know, vultures are social creatures. If you can do it with others, even if it's just one other person or a pet or a plant or the sky, you know, it's even better. You are held here. You, no one enters the underworld alone and you don't need to either. So thank you for sharing the space for me. That's what I wanted to offer you today. I hope it has felt encouraging or illuminating or supportive and given you a different perspective on what you might be in right now. If nothing else, I hope it allows you or reminds you to take your grief seriously and to remember that um, it doesn't stay the same, that there's a both and here, that it's it can be difficult and disgusting and hard to look at. And you can also, in a moment's time, be flying and uh, enjoying the wind beneath your wings. So uh, that's what I had with had for you today. Uh, again, if you feel like you need some extra support that is nature-based, that is seasonal, that is informed by an appreciation for the underworld and the spirit realm, then I just want to remind you that I do support people through these intensive six-month programs. Um, I do offer tarot readings that are deep and incisive and clarifying, and you can learn all about that at awildnewwork.com. I'll put that link in the show notes as well. So take such good care. I'm really glad that we could spend this time together today, and I will see you on the other side.